Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Dan Riley. The Exchange is a streaming internet talk show and podcast of interviews with noteworthy people about their lives, ideas, and current events. This week I sit down with Salam, a defector from the Syrian army currently living in Istanbul. During our conversation, Salam talks about growing up in Syria, his reasons for leaving the Syrian military, his escape from Syria into Turkey, and the rise of the extremist group ISIS. As a side note, Salam has chosen to use an abbreviated name to protect his identity. Welcome to the show. Today I'm sitting down with Salam in Istanbul, Turkey. Salam is a refugee from Syria. Uh, Salam, first, uh, thank you for taking the time just to talk and share your story with the listeners. Thank you for having me with you. Thank you. Um, I'd like to start, as we were talking about, just by kind of learning a little bit about your um, your life, your upbringing. Where were you born in Syria? And tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing and childhood. Yes. I was born in the city of Aleppo in 1986. Mm-hmm. I uh, took on my elementary school and my middle school, also my high school in Aleppo. Later on, I studied the English-Arabic translation uh, humanity faculty mm. uh, in Homs city, in the middle of Syria. Mm. I graduated in uh, 2010. Mm. After that, I went to the army. It's, uh, it was a, compuls- a compulsory service that every Syrian male has uh, to do. Uh, every Syrian male without money or who is not an, un- an only child. You know. So I went to army uh, after that, you know, the uprising against the regime uh, broke out in 2011, in March. And uh, because of that, our military service was uh, extended indefinitely. But after serving a while, uh, I decided to quit the army and go on in my life. Tell me about the beginning of what happened in Syria, the uprising, the beginning of the civil war. Did you see that coming? Was that something that you could feel within the population was something that was likely? You know, after the uh, peoples of Tunisia, Egypt, and Yemen uh, broke their uh, dictatorship shackles and started to take to streets in order to express themselves, we had that sense in Syria, we had that feeling that something might uh, happen also in the country. And uh, it started with uh, small groups shouting freedom, shouting uh, democracy, demanding for you know, uh, the least civil rights that we were uh, prevented to have uh, during 40 years of uh, Assad family ruling. After that, the uh, uprising started to grow bigger and bigger, like a snowball. And uh, it remained peaceful and armless uh, for around six or seven months. And uh, that was recorded by the Syrian president himself. Uh, He admitted that. But after that, you know, uh, it, it uh, it started to become... Uh, more and more armed. Mm. Uh, we saw uh, weaponry uh, flowing into the country and uh, we witnessed 
military actions uh, done by the regime and it uh, metamorphosed to the uh, form that you are seeing now on the You'd mentioned the civil rights. What sort of civil rights or reforms were the people who were protesting against the government interested in? For example, let's say the people of Homs, when they uh, first uh, took to streets, they demanded the resignation of the uh, royal, uh, the uh, I mean, the mayor of the city. But be, uh, because the regime uh, is not used to encounter any form of uh, objection to any small detail of their policy, they started to crack down the protesters and uh, they used violence. Mm. And because of that, the people turned to demand the uh, fall down of the regime mm. itself. And uh, there are, in fact, there are many uh, civil civil rights who were banned from, like the uh, the right to express uh, liberty of expression, the right to uh, integral elections, free elections, the right of uh, free media that is unsubject to the uh, regime's policies and views, and uh, there are many, you know. And at least, at least that we have uh, an integral judiciary system and the elimination of corruption and the uh, elimination also of all forms of uh, violations to the human rights. Uh, I might uh, mention in passing uh, the Palmyra prison, which is Tadmor prison, and uh, Sidnaya prison, uh, which represent two of the most vicious prisons uh, in the world. Hmm. I want to learn a little bit about what it was like to grow up in Syria. Um, not having those sort of civil rights, was that something that you and your peers when you were young were asking for or hoping to get at some point in your life? Or was it just sort of taken for granted that this is a dictatorship, it's probably never going to change? You can say it was taken for granted, but... Uh, with the uh, arrival of uh, President Bashar al-Assad uh, to power in 2000, we hoped that something will change in the country, that uh, he is a, uh, an eye doctor, he is well-educated, he is open-minded, but uh, all of these ideas turned to be wrong because mm. he continued the policy of his father. Mm. Probably, probably he is just... Uh, a simple pawn in the regime and uh, he is not doing that on his own because the uh, close circle around him is uh, the uh, real player in the country. You can say it was taken for granted but we hope that some change will take place. Was there one moment, as you were saying, it sounds like there was a build-up of people calling for freedom, people calling for democracy in the streets. Was there one moment when it went from a few people saying this is what we want to this is the defining moment where the regime knows that the people are serious you know uh, it's uh, the whole thing started in Dara, southern Syria and uh, the Syrian media kept hiding the real facts they uh, kept to air their own propaganda, their own uh, side of the story or their own version of the story 
stories like uh, armed groups are sh- uh, shooting at protesters uh, or you can say armed groups are sabotaging the uh, official uh, directories like the town hall like the electricity department like that so you cannot say there was a, a definite moment of uh, heat in the uprising because of the media but uh, we felt that we had you know uh, some people have relatives in Dana for example so we kept uh, we were kept posted about the real story via these connections mm. stories from real people mm. on the ground and how did you learn that information if the if the state controlled the official media outlets how did you learn information that was accurate you know Uh, in Syria, uh, we can watch other TV channels mm. from outside of the country, like Al Jazeera, Al Arabiya, those channels who uh, aired the real story mm. about the events here in Syria. And uh, you can say the, the first martyr in the Syrian uh, uprising uh, also added up to the heat of the uh, people and the uh, urge of the people to uh, break the shackles mm. it was in march 18 when the uh, when the first martyr of syria was was killed you know, by the regime and what's the story with the first martyr do you know exactly what happened with that death i know he was a protester yeah. that's all i know yeah. and uh, some forces in the syrian opposition adopt the date 15 March of uh, as a, as a date of the revolution others adopt the 18th of March uh, because the first martyr was killed in uh, 18th of March mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about you a little bit and and it sounds like you were in the army and probably were hoped to be part of the military opposition to the protests did you make a decision at some point that You're not going to support the regime anymore and it's time for you to leave the country or what was your thinking that brought you to Turkey? From the beginning I was against the regime because mm. I knew the real story. And uh, I didn't take any decision <clears throat> to join any armed group because I don't believe in killing and on the contrary I believe that killing will uh, make the situation grow Uh, go from frying pan into fire as you say so when I start when I f- uh, felt down to my bones sure that there will be no release from army I uh, made my decision to leave the army and uh, go on with my life as I told you uh, I chose Turkey because we had relatives And uh, I believe that uh, Turkey represents a, a good model for the countries of the Middle East in terms of economy, in terms of uh, democracy, let's say. And I also uh, had my sister already here in Istanbul. Was it difficult to get out of Syria at that point? Did you have to hide your identity at various points when you were coming in? Yes, you can say it was a little difficult. But uh, I uh, quit the army uh, with a leave. I had a leave in my hand. You know, uh, they signed permissions to leave the site. 
I got it uh, for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one of my unit to quit. So uh, I took my leave. <coughs> I was serving in Sweda, southern Syria, uh, nearby Dara. I uh, took the trip to Damascus and from Damascus uh, went to Aleppo via the desert uh, road uh, by bus and it took me around 15 hours to get to home. It was a long, long trip because of the barriers and because of the uh, changing of the route. Mm -hmm. Because the bus driver <coughs> knew that he had uh, four or five soldiers aboard. So uh, it's dangerous for soldiers to cross the main road between Damascus and Aleppo via Homs and Hama city, middle of Syria. So he took a different road. For us, for our safety, you know. And whenever <coughs> we come to a, a, a Syrian army barrier, I drew, I showed my military ID with my name. It's very, it's legal. Everything mm. is legal and uh, official. Mm. But when we reach the area uh, on the in the outskirts of Aleppo, where the Free Syrian Army, uh, you know, it's it was a stronghold for this Free Syrian Army. I showed my driver's license mm -hmm. and I passed on. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, there was one soldier who suspected me, but he didn't make any trouble. Mm -hmm. I said, my uh, civil ID is lost. Mm -hmm. Did you know if you were caught, if, if let's say someone from the military got an idea and learned about what you were doing, what the Free what Syrian would, Army, the, either one, either the official army or the Free Syrian Army, would there be re repercussions for you? Did you know what would happen to you? If, if I was caught by the, you know, I wasn't afraid of the uh, regime's army because, uh, as I told you, I had my, uh, you know, my official leave. It was signed by the colonel of our battalion who, who, who later, uh, you know, defected also. Interesting. But uh, the, the dangerous part is, is on the side of the F FSA because FSA or Free Syrian Army when they capture uh, or they sense a soldier by his appearance or his words or you know uh, if he's getting back to his site he's dead yeah. but if he's still uh, you know starting uh, his leave uh, they might give him a chance i was prepared you know to to any possibility mm -hmm. i said okay i said in myself okay if they uh, if I if, if I get discovered, I will I will tell them, okay, I'm leaving, you know, and I'm not getting back. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I got ready to all the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned that there were other people with you and other people since then. It sounds like who have defected. How many Syrian official Syrian military people have defected and either left the country entirely or have joined the FSA? I can't tell you. Um, a, a very credible number, but they say that Syrian army lost seventy percent of its, uh, you know, population. It's gone. Has yes, left. Yes, it's gone. Either killed or missing or defected. Mm -hmm. So I cannot give you a, a certain number. It cannot depend on me on that. Um, as I said, the dangerous part was on the FSA part. Mm -hmm. And in the bus, uh, we were four, but we weren't in the same unit. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I served in the uh, electro electronic surveillance speciality. Mm -hmm. I was neither 
infantry nor artillery others you know uh, uh, there was that soldier who had been discovered you know mm-hmm. and they brought him out of the bus I don't know what happened to him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't believe there is something bad happened to him because he also was leaving his side mm. and for people who are relatively unfamiliar with the details of what's going on or what has gone on in Syria um, how is the FSA fared against the regime? Tell us a few of the details that stick out in your head as being unbelievable or incredibly important about what's happened over the last few years. You mean uh, regarding military actions? The civil war, military actions, how well the FSA has been able to fight against the regime, what mm-hmm. sort of retaliation they have received from Bashar. Mm-hmm. I believe that FSA also made several mistakes by uh, gathering in civil areas which gave the uh, regime's air force uh, a pretext to uh, do more shilling over the civilians and so on. Uh, The FSA started uh, to be formed by uh, those officers who defected from it when they were uh, manned in Dara, mm. in Dara city, uh, their mind uh, apparently was full of uh, ideas as those are terrorist groups who are going to fight, those are sabotaging the country and when they confronted those terrorist groups in brackets, uh, they were shocked because of the difference between the uh, official version of the story and the uh, real facts on the ground. That's why uh, the shock played a role in making many officers and uh, soldiers defect from the army. They started to form the FSA and later on uh, they got uh, weaponry, Uh, they got also, you know, it wasn't it wasn't to be done without the support of the people because those protesters uh, <coughs> taking to streets uh, supported any force, any power that could protect them from the uh, shots of the regime's soldiers. So it wasn't uh, to be done without the support of the people. They started little and they grew in number, in weaponry. And as you see the picture right now, it's uh, a multilateral uh, mm-hmm. war. Mm-hmm. And most of the arms that they've received, the people in the, in the FSA, to fight against the regime, where are they coming from and how are they obtaining what they're, what they're using to fight? They, uh, they come from brokers. And there are many sources, you know, mm. from brokers, from countries and also uh, from those spoils, war spoils, when they attack a military site also. But now the FSA is in a real trouble because uh, they are fighting on two fronts. The, they are fighting against the extremists and also against the regime. Mm-hmm. And the extremists is one of the other subjects that I wanted to talk to you about. Is that something that you could have possibly foreseen being such a lethal force within Syria when you left the country a few years ago? Or does it not particularly surprise you that an organization like ISIS is doing what they're doing in Syria? Would you clarify, clarify your question more? It's, uh, you know, multi-sided. Sure. 
Are you surprised that a force like ISIS has arisen in Syria and has had the ability to do everything that they've been able to do in Syria? No, I wasn't surprised because uh, the revolution was taking on the Islamic form uh, over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the extremism was expected to uh, come to be for two reasons. First of all, because of the regime's way of tackling the uprising. Mm. Secondly, for uh, some people in Syria uh, are willing to uh, embrace such ideas like the Islamic uh, Caliphate. And, and you know the story, Islamic Caliphate and the Islamic uh, regulation system. But I think the main reason for this extremism to come up in Syria is the regime's way of tackling the uprising. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Syrian regime, uh, inside inside the regime, they are very sectarian. You know about the uh, Syrian society and the tissue of the society. We have uh, many sects, we have many religions and races. So, and the uh, president being from uh, a different sect from the uh, majority of the Syrian people created that sense of, uh, of you know, sectarianism mm -hmm. in the deeds of the regime, which in fact uh, is true. Because mm -hmm. before the uprising, uh, anyone who is in the intelligence can you know, control a whole department or uh, ha hire have his his relative or her relative hired in any place in the in the country. Uh, they are they are uh, powerful, especially when they come from uh, you know people connected to the regime. Mm -hmm. That's why you see the extremism here in Syria. Mm -hmm. And the the sort of brutality that you've seen from the government and the military of Bashar. Talk about what he's done. I know everyone talks about how he's used chemical weapons against the citizens. What are the specific types of weapons that he's used and how many people has he killed? I don't know about the weapons, but uh, the death toll reached uh, 1,500 people. Hmm. I wasn't there to speak about it, but I know that what well, I know that they uh, used chemicals to kill those uh, families and children. And there is one thing uh, that worth mentioning, that is worth mentioning here, which is the statement uh, made by Buthayna Shaban, the counselor in the, uh, in the uh, counselor of Bashar al-Assad, who claimed that these killed children and families were originally kidnapped from Latakia and drove, driven all the way to rural Damascus in order to be killed. I mean, uh, her version of the story is very ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's very funny. It cannot be believed by a, by a child. Mm -hmm. She said that those terrorists kidnapped uh, some people and some children from Latakia, which is under the regime's control, all the way across Homs, which is also under the, the regime's control, to rural Damascus to, you know, execute them. Mm. It's a ridiculous idea. Mm. It says, I am a liar, and you have to believe that. Right. 
And and now with what everything that's happened, has it surprised you how much how broken Syria appears to be right now? Did you think it would last as long as it's lasted since you left the country? Well, I was uh, saying that uh, yesterday when we had a relative visiting us, I said everything, you know, w- when you look to the situation right now in Syria and think about it uh, three years ago, uh, you feel like you, you are in, in a, a nightmare or a dream. You cannot, sometimes I don't believe that is, is this all of this taking place in Syria? Am I am I sober? That's what I think. Because it, the the size of the destruction in Syria cannot be you know cannot be be, believed to have taken place in three years. Mm. It's very short notice. Mm. So sometimes I feel I'm 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 still asleep or mm. I don't know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. And if you could play king for a day, or you could play God for a day, and you had control over uh, the behavior of different governments in the world, how would you like to see the world community respond or react to what's going on in Syria? If I'm to if I'm to play to play God, I don't know if there is a God. If there is a God, I wish uh, he takes care of the people. He must be seeing what is going on here in Syria. Some people do pray, please God, uh, you know, uh, support us, and please God, make us victorious in this war. What are we talking about? I mean, uh, religion sometimes, uh, uh, you know, uh, holds you uh, from uh, taking action. So, if there is a God, such a thing must haven't have uh, haven't taken place mm-hmm. from the from the beginning mm-hmm. and are there any countries that you've seen that have behaved in a way towards the syrian people that you view as being very noble different countries that have helped the people you think should be helped in syria uh, i believe the most noble part is so far uh, uh, being played by turkey here by the government and you know uh, regardless from uh, uh, some events where Turkish people you know protested against the Syrian presence in Turkey regardless from that the Turkish government is uh, so far totally supportive to the Syrian uh, refugees Mm. unlike other Arab countries like Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt which were supposed to be more helpful Mm. And also, uh, we have to mention the European countries. Uh, I'm talking about the, uh, when they tackle our issue from the humanitarian view, when they accept the uh, refugee applications and you know, uh, allow Syrians to go there, and they do not deport them so mm-hmm. far. In fact, uh, two days ago or yesterday, to be more accurate, our relative applied for uh, for Germany applied to uh, to go to Germany as a refugee and they uh, said uh, he can come back to the uh, consulate and have his visa and you know get away with it mm-hmm. i want to talk about the future a little bit and what you believe is possible now given what's happened in in Syria as you were mentioning it seems like you're living through a nightmare or that you're still asleep or something for the past few years what is a realistic hope 
for what can change in Syria over the next five years, in your opinion? The realistic hope. <clears throat> the realistic, realistic hope is that uh, the fall down of the regime must be inevitable. That's something uh, that have, has to happen. It, we cannot live with this regime. Neither we can with the extremism. So in five years, uh, I believe uh, the situation will turn to take uh, a better shape, you know, a better form on the Syrian soil because we are creating uh, a big problem in the region to the whole world. You know, if if the uh, crisis goes on for maybe another year, there will be wars breaking out. And we don't that want that to happen, and we also want the international community to take action to stop the war, to uh, you know uh, take actions also against the regime to step down, and so that all the people uh, who, who were displaced to come back to their country. The last thing I want to ask you, uh, last question I want to ask you is if if someone who is listening to this who is in Syria right now and is in a similar situation to the situation you were in four years ago and wants to get out, are there resources, are there people, are there countries that you would recommend them connect, try to connect with to, to help their life and to potentially get out of the country? Countries or organiz organizations or, you know, everybody has... Uh, everybody ha uh, has his own plan. Mm. Some people do leave the country uh, to go to Europe and ask for asylum. Some people are satisfied uh, with staying here and finding a job. Uh, I cannot recommend places uh, like Jordan or Iraq or Egypt because they are already rejecting us and they are already in a crisis, in economical crisis. So, uh, they might come here to Turkey, but they have to take into their consideration that um, if a foreigner, whenever there is a foreigner, uh, that foreigner should, you know, con uh, live under that country's rules. Mm. You know? uh, so, if there is somebody hearing me now and uh, wanting to get out of the country, he can go wherever he likes, but uh, he has to bear in his mind that he must be uh, respectful, he has to be polite, and he has uh, not to make any trouble to anybody else. Mm. That's it. Salam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Thank you, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about The Exchange, want to listen to episodes online, or would like to reach out to the show, feel free to visit the show's website at theexchangeshow.com.